This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry hey everybody we're back it's the forever mighty post game show not podcast tonight we're live after the ducks Four to three win over the Colorado Avalanche. Ricard Raquel snapping a 17 game goalless draw with 1.2 seconds left. So happy to be back, man. It's great. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. The, after the games at uh, almost 1 a.m. That was the 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 for you, not me. Of, of yeah, from <laughs> from me. But no, it is uh, it is great to be back on the post game show. We were. Uh, we were away for a while doing kind of a, week, a bi-weekly thing, and uh, we just felt like it wasn't the same. We started as a post-game show, felt like we needed to get back to that, and uh, we're here, and, and hey, first show back, and the Ducks the Ducks have a uh, probably one of the most exciting games of the season, and a win, and a buzzer beat yeah. win. No, absolutely. I was sitting out in the living room with my wife watching this game. I was like, you know, of course, the first time we do a post-game show, it goes to OT, and Eddie's got to stay up late. Oh, we're probably going to go to a shootout. <laughs> And then, you know, luckily, Ricard and Raquel made sure you're going to get to bed before 3 a.m. tonight. Yeah. Ironic enough, too, we start back in March, uh, I think, two years from, I don't know from the exact uh, date, but two years pretty from close. When, we, when we actually started the show. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's perfect timing to get back to uh, the post-game grind. Uh, so thanks to everyone who's tuning in now and those who tune in after. Uh, we're going to finish out the rest of the season with post-game shows, so that's exciting and most likely going to continue the, you know, the same path for next year. Also, I might sound funny. I've been sick for what feels like three weeks. So if I have to mute my mic and cough, I apologize. But I sound like, uh, I don't know, I sound like a frog. I don't understand <laughs> what the hell's wrong it's, with my voice. It's, it's been say, you said what feels like three weeks. I'm pretty sure it's been three weeks. I yeah, guess. it's been. It's definitely <laughs> been three weeks. It's definitely been three, three weeks. Let's hop into the game, man. We got uh, or the, to, the, to the lineup real quick. Lots of injuries. Ducks missing their top four defensemen for tonight's game. That was the big story running to, running into here. Besides, you know, Ricard Raquel's goal is trout, but uh, Yanni Hakapa is getting. Uh, I think his is that NHL his first debut. Start? Yeah, that's his, yeah, his yeah. NHL debut. Yeah, he got drafted way back by the Blues, but never played. Played I think four seasons in the AHL, and then uh, other than that, it's been I think back in Finland until until the yeah, first game of the season. Here he played preseason this year for the Ducks and didn't look right. great. But, uh, yeah, NHL debut for him uh, because the Ducks have Fowler, Lindholm, Goodbranson, and Manson all out of the lineup. And you look at that uh, that six guys who started tonight, uh, the fact that the Ducks were able to hold on, get a win, 
in this game against a fresh team like the Colorado Avalanche and a deadly team like the Colorado Avalanche. You look at guys, you know, they have on that team, and, and you know, obviously Nathan McKinnon comes to the top of the list when you, you look at speed on that team, but they are a fast team. And, you know, the fact that Larson, Delzato, Gooley, and Irwin, and Juice, and Hockenpah were able to keep the Ducks in it and, and help them to a, a 4-3 overtime win is, is pretty impressive considering where the Ducks are at this point in the season. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I felt like they did a pretty good job of holding off that speed as best they could, given what they have in this roster, right? I, I felt like the Ducks could have easily been destroyed in this game. I mean, they were saved mostly by a great game by Ryan Miller, who got the start in net, and a lot of posts by the Colorado Avalanche. So, you know, but hey, that's all Miller left him. If Jason was here, it's what he would say. Uh, before we get into the game, though, we have to say a few words from our sponsor, Bet Online. Eddie, tell us about Bet Online. Yeah, a quick quick uh, preface to this too. If you haven't been listening to the last couple shows, we've joined up with uh, Blue Wire Podcasts. Uh, they're a sports podcasting network that just has a great collection uh, of podcasts from the NBA, NFL, a few NHL ones. Where we joined, I think one of we're one of three of their NHL podcasts, uh, and they've got. Uh, a few baseball podcasts in there as well, but it's a great network. It's a growing network. So uh, that's why uh, you'll be hearing a, a few ad reads here and there, but uh, honestly, it's uh, you know, it's a great platform to get on for us and, and grow the show here. But uh, uh, about uh, bet online and we talked about, you know, we are in March now we're getting close to the re, uh, the anniversary of us starting this podcast, but we are also weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. And you may be looking at me thinking, what tournament? If you're not a basketball fan, you probably don't know. But March Madness is coming up. Make sure you head to Bet Online and open an account today to get on their, in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. What could you do with $100,000? What can I do with $100,000? I enter a March Madness Bracket contest every year, and I get nowhere close to winning. But $100,000 March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action, and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA, XFL, and of course the NHL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage and the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for your free account and make sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE for 50% off sign up bonus bet online your online sports book experts there you have it thanks ed for the the read there let's get to a couple of little things because eddie if you guys don't know him and you're new to the show somehow eddie doesn't like that we started a podcast midweek and there was two games before it so there's we got to talk a little <laughs> bit about uh these awful games that i would rather pass but Ed talked me into talking bit. about these. There, there's um, not much we have to talk about with these, but the, actually, you know, honestly, I decided the only, to throw you under the bus, man. You know, I love I, you. We we got it. We got to talk. But there's the, really the only thing I want to get to is the most controversial thing over both games. Uh, and, and the tweet that blew up for us was the John Gibson hit on Kevin Ooh. Rooney behind the net. Uh, yeah. Clear interference call. I don't think anybody was arguing that. I don't think anybody was saying that that wasn't a penalty. Uh, it was the shot he gave him after that with his head on the ice that uh, people were a bit upset about. And, hey, I can understand John Gibson being upset. Uh, he was getting left hung out to dry in that game uh, pretty much like been all season, and, and you know, tempers are flaring. Uh, but, you know, the hit I had no problem with. That's him kind of standing his ground behind the net. But, yeah, that uh, that little shot at the end, that's a, little, that's a dangerous one, Man. especially with the blocker. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, shoot. I feel like it was not a good idea from John Gibson, but like you were saying, I understand his frustration, and I, I want to just go out and say, I feel like, I mean, people have been in his crease. It seems like, and I know we watch mostly Ducks games, but I don't think I've seen other goaltenders get clipped, tripped, you know, stabbed out with a stick snowed i mean you name it it happens to gibby it seems like the past couple of years while the ducks haven't been ultra competitive right and i think this just came to a precipice for him in that game he's just like i don't care anymore man i'm just gonna jump on somebody and i almost felt like thank god that that uh he had a visor on because i think his face would have been smashed into the into the ice there and would have had some damage but uh people calling for a suspension i mean they could have done it they could have done a one game they could have I, and I would have understood why, but the way this league calls and doesn't call things, I wasn't shocked they didn't call it. The thing is, you know, people were saying he didn't get a fine or a suspension because he's a goalie. I almost think it's the complete opposite, where it's being blown out of proportion and and kind of, you know, people are acting like this doesn't happen all the time because he's a goalie and because you don't see goalies do it all the time because he has the blocker, which is essentially a weapon on his hands. That, uh, that can do a bit more damage than with with a regular glove, but we see players do this all the time. You know, after a fight, a guy will kind of give a guy a shot <laughs> while he's down on the ice. Doesn't mean it's safe, but to think that you know he deserves a suspension for that, or you know, uh, you know, I could I could maybe get behind a fine, but you, you can't sit here and act like we don't see this all the time. If, if there's an injury on the play, he's suspended. There wasn't. Yeah. There's nothing. Nothing's gonna happen. Yeah, if he, if he smashes his face into the ice then and and he gets hurt or even if you know just if his face actually hits the ice then yeah you can you can go in and say that's uh, that's a suspension but the fact of the matter is like it's a dangerous play by Gibson but Rooney doesn't hit his head on the ice he doesn't hit his face on the ice he barely kind of his helmet barely touches the the ice at all uh, it's just a shot by Gibson. I don't think he meant to hurt him either. I think he was just trying to take an extra ah, shot. Ah, maybe, maybe. I, I don't. Well, I, I don't. He's, he's I don't think up, he, man. Yeah, he, <laughs> for sure, he meant to punch him in the face. I, I just don't think he meant to to know, run his head through the ram ice, ram his head through the ice. Um, and he got down in his face after and gave him a couple words, which uh, we'll never know what he actually said. But uh, clearly, no. Gibby is uh, is getting frustrated for good reason. Another tough season for him. Another tough season for the Ducks. No, I agree with you, man. I definitely agree with you. And for some reason, we got to talk about Larson and Irwin in Chicago because <laughs> yeah, I don't even want that might have been. I mean, a three nothing <laughs> loss to the Devils, was, and then you follow that, that up brutal. Yeah, with with a brutal six two loss to the Blackhawks, who are somehow almost in a playoff spot right now. And I was looking up this yesterday. I was watching the game, and you know, the one thing that sticks in my mind of that horrible loss was the fact that. Uh, Jeremy Collison, their their head coach, is one year younger than Duncan Keith, and he looks like mm. a, looks like an absolute baby on their bench. Like he, he's thirty five, <laughs> but he looks like Kyle Dubas. Like he looks like he could be you know twenty five. You know, born uh, in two thousand. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, credit to that guy. I mean, we all thought the Blackhawks, and not like they're a good team this year, but I thought they were going to be nowhere near sniffing around the playoffs. But they're right. In yeah. the mix, I mean, if you know they get hot, they could go on a run and, and potentially snatch up one of those wild card spots. So, which is really strange to think about, honestly. Yeah, well, because we, you know, the Blackhawks were so good for so long, and then immediately, just like the Kings, they went from being so good to just horrible. And right. uh, and then all of a sudden this year, they really didn't do anything. They brought over Dominic Kubalik, who obviously is a big 
addition for them. He's almost at 30 goals as as a rookie, an Artemi Panarin-type rookie where he's like 24. And oh. he comes over and he's been playing against men in Europe, so he's not really a rookie. But they, the, the, the Blackhawks always find these guys. Two teams that, before we get into tonight's game, that always seem to find players. The Hawks, and it always for the Hawks, it's always overseas. They get these guys like Panarin and Kublik where they just sign overseas, they come over and do well. And the Penguins. But the Penguins, I don't even know where they get these guys from. They just get these guys from, like, college or, like, sixth or seventh round draft picks and, you know, just the most random named guys ever, and they just come out and and they just kind of fill out the lineup behind Crosby and Malkin. But those are are two teams every year that you think – that they probably won't do as good or you know do better than they did last year, and then these like three or four random guys jump into the lineup and they just do somewhat okay, or like in Pittsburgh's case, they make the playoffs without with Crosby missing twenty eight games this year. Yeah, it's, oh well, uh, kind of get a hot goaltender, you can do a lot of things. But uh, yeah, let's get into tonight's game because the Ducks actually won this game and it's a lot more fun. It's it a lot more exciting game than the last two, and probably one of the more exciting games of the season. You know, back and forth. Yeah, I mean, but. Can you just not say that it's Ryan Miller's game? I mean, the Ducks were just outclassed in this game and, and made opportune chances go in the net. I mean, th- this was an outstanding game by Ryan Miller, I feel like. I-, I feel like he is the reason why the Ducks are, are taking home the victory tonight in overtime. Yes, I-, I will get half on board with that. Ryan Miller half. had a great game. No, because I, I agree Guess Ryan Miller. Guess what the Miller... scoring chances were tonight, my friend. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's way up there. In, in, I mean, me... 44 to 16 is absurd. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. And Ryan Miller, I'm not I'm not discrediting him at all. I think he had a great game, and he's one of the main reasons the Ducks even got you know two points out of this and made it to overtime. the The problem is the Avs hit like four posts. Yeah, maybe, but that's on Miller game. And, and yeah, and and that's on the Avs for not being able to finish <laughs> as well. So there, there's there's some things to that, but man, like yeah, Ryan Miller and and just the the Avs shooting themselves in the foot in this one and not being able to finish on some of these chances. They had a 2-on-0 breakaway in overtime. And uh, I don't know who was up there with Tyson Yost, but he just peeled off and said, "Hey, all right, we're just going to do a 1-on-0. You can just have a breakaway." If he just keeps up, you know, speed there and and they have a 2-on-1, that's an easy pass over one timer into the back of the net. And was that it, Tyson Yost the second time and then it was I think it was Sam Gerard yeah, the first I, time. It might have yeah. been. Yeah. I, but yeah. they they you know you have a 2 on 0 in overtime right any any situation. Yeah, he was just gaffed. Just should be a guaranteed Yeah, it should be a guaranteed goal but uh the Avs just didn't seem like they wanted it as much as the Ducks did, which is which is kind of embarrassing when you think the Ducks are on a second game of a back-to-back. There's no hope for them to make the playoffs. Uh and and I don't know what got the Ducks up for this game, honestly. Uh, but they came into this game and they wanted it from puck drop. They they really wanted to win this game. And, you know, the Avs, who were not really fighting for a playoff spot, but fighting for, you know, for more for better home ice going into the playoffs throughout the, the first three rounds. Uh, and I think they had won seven in a row going into this game. And uh, they, they just didn't want it. I think in the end, McKinnon was like literally out there for six of the final eight minutes. And, and you could tell he, you know, he, he always wants it and he always wants to puck on his stick. But I think as a, a team effort, the Avs just weren't fully into it. I, I'm not buying it, man. I'm not buying it. Not, not based on the shots on goal and, and, the, and the scoring chances, the high danger chances, the posts. I mean, that, that's, it's a Ryan Miller night. It's definitely a Ryan Miller night. And I think some of the goals, by the Ducks, I, I really feel like as if Frank, Frank Kuz is the goaltender on the Avalanche. I'm saying that right. And if I'm not, I'm sorry, but oh well. I'm going to call um, Frank Kuz anyway because the broadcast yeah. was calling him Fran Suze or something. 
but Frank Kuz is Frank better Kuz. for me. Yeah, I think there was a couple goals that he maybe was like, oh, kind of mm, like Steele's goal. He was, you know, Steele got, you know, and, and we'll talk about it. But there's a couple, a couple of goals that I read that maybe he felt like he wasn't on Ryan Miller's level. I think that was the biggest deciding factor tonight. But let's let's get into it, man. Let's talk about what happened in this game. I mean, the first period, couple of goals right away for the, you know, for both teams. It felt like. Um, you know, the first one, Gooley and Irwin were just kind of caught by the speed of that McKinnon Domestikoff line. Um, and then Miller denies. But then we have a situation again, Irwin caught by the speed of McKinnon. I feel like we were saying that a lot, or I was yeah. thinking that a lot because I no, wrote no, it on the dock <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's it's everywhere on the it's everywhere and any game McKinnon's in. Caught by speed. Caught yeah. by speed. McKinnon blew by this guy, blew by that guy, and yeah, when you when you you throw Matt Irwin in there, you're not super surprised that he's the guy that got burned by Nathan McKinnon. No, and, and, and you know, this one, it's just, what are you going to do? You got you got a sixth defenseman playing out against maybe one of the top two players in the world. Drives wide, rips a shot, rebound goes into the high slot, takes some wacky bounce off Nemestikov, off Delzato went in. one nothing abs. Nothing Miller can really do at that point, I feel like. Uh, you know, he was, he was fighting that puck off. It just happened to go in the slot, unfortunately. Yeah, it was it was a tough one. Um, you know, the fact that Miller stoned Nemestikov not not too much uh, earlier than than the goal that ends up going in here, but it's unlucky where I think it hits off Nemestikov's leg and then bounces in off Delzato and bounces right behind Ryan Miller. Uh, when you when you look at how well Ryan Miller played in this game, those are the types of goals that are going to go in on you. Um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate because uh, you know. It, the, the Ducks were playing pretty well up to this point, and, and obviously they were going to struggle with the speed of the Avalanche all night, like most teams do on a nightly basis. Uh, so it's a tough one early to, to let in when you've got that confidence, and you know you you already your goalie's already made a couple big saves, and, and right. then you know to have that goal go in, it's deflating. But you could see Ryan Miller didn't get wasn't too concerned by that goal. You know sometimes that can be deflating for a goalie early when you make a couple big stops. And that's the uh, the goal that ends up going in, uh, but but you know kudos to him and, and he's been around a long time, so this you know this isn't something that's going to kind of get on him and get on his nerves pretty easily. But I, you know I give him credit for for sticking to it and and kind of not getting deflated early on. I kind of wonder if he wanted to be traded to a contender and it didn't work out or for whatever reason didn't happen because I think that, I mean this guy just deserves it. He, he's he's a rock and net for a horrible team this year and we love him. But uh, it would have been nice to see him, you know, get the hardware at the end of the year. You know, I'm sure he he wanted to, and in some part of him wanted to, because I'm sure he wants to win a Stanley Cup. Every player wants to win a Stanley Cup. But when when you've got a family and, and you've got a young child, it, it just it never really enters a, a part of the discussion where it becomes any bit reality. Like I don't think it ever got to a point where Miller was like. You know, I'm I'm almost certain I'm gonna move here if somebody comes up and, and offers something for me. Uh, I I don't think it ever got to that point. I think if you know if he didn't have the family, if he you know if he didn't have a a son uh, that he you know he had to go home to, and they had you know established home in uh, Southern California, and his wife works here, like it just too much to kind of uproot and, and leave at that point. Ah, it was it's just for a couple months. It's just yeah, for a and months. I mean you know David Backus had to do it right. You know, his yep. family is, is established, I think, in the Boston area right now. 
Uh, and he had to uproot and move uh, for at least not not even just uh, the next couple months here. Likely, he you know he's under contract next season as well. So oh well, he, thank God he's under contract here. No, oh, can't can't wait to pay that salary <laughs> as a Texan. Can't wait. Well, what he was out tonight, but uh, the man in place for him who was scratched the other night was Andrew Agazino. And uh, he ends up picking up the Ducks' first goal of the night, and and I think that's all newbies now with points. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think was the last one to get on the board because he had an assist that was taken away from him a couple games ago. Uh, but it, you know, a great job by uh, sorry by uh, Irwin to pinch up, and then Rowney again. You know, Rowney made a nice pass the other night out to I th- who was it last night? Was it Nick Deloria? I think or it might have been. Yeah, he he made a pass from behind the net as well. Uh, last night does the same thing this time and ends up finding Aguzino out front. Seems to be the bread and butter of the fourth line right now is, is these kind of chip, chip from behind the net type plays. But nice for Aguzino to get on the board. You know, Ducks ended up trading Derek Grant at the trade deadline, and, and we'll talk about him a bit more later. But they still yeah. need this yeah. depth offense. And, you know, for Nick Delorier to be getting the board uh, every now and then and for Aguzino to chip in and Carter Brown NHL playing fight well. leader. Nick yeah, DeLaurier. Three years running, I think. I think the broadcast said he was back-to-back. Two, back. two years, right? Yeah, I think it was back-to-back. Two yeah. years back-to-back, and then this year he's leading, so I think it would be three if he finishes the season uh, with leading in fights. Uh, one of the rare, just kind of true fighters left in the game. There aren't many guys left that do that type of job anymore. Nick DeLaurier seems to be one of the few left. And, and you know, I, I got to... You gotta, I gotta kind of give him credit. I was hard on him when when the move was made. Oh, all we all season. just trashed him on that man. But yeah. I mean, he's really he's, become he's quite the player on the fourth line. He yeah, really he, has. He he's fit in. He fit in with Rowney and Grant, and, and now obviously Grant gone, but Agazino and Bacchus are, are platooning on the fourth line there, and and he's found a home and and he's found a role, and and obviously it still involves fighting, but he's fighting at the right time, right? Like you know this that fight tonight made sense the the timing of that fight with belmar um you know the fact that he completely dummied him too was was pretty nice that was a tough one for belmar belmar is not a heavyweight and i don't yeah. know if delore is even a heavyweight but i don't i mean delore is definitely delore is a he's a heavyweight he might not be a big i don't know how tall he is i don't think he's that tall i think he's maybe like six or six one but he's a heavyweight like he's a big guy like he is not a guy you want to get in a fight with i i, I think you know I, I wouldn't say he's the toughest guy in the league because he fights all the time. Because you know, that, I mean, he's, he's six foot one. He's not. He's as tall as I am. He's definitely not one of the biggest. Guys. I mean, gets he's no, bigger I than mean, he is. You, you throw Ryan Reeves in, into a fight with Nick Delorier, and, and that's not a good matchup for. Nick. I'd be interested no. to see how that goes. But you got to give him credit, man. I don't think he's really lost a fight. This nah, year. not really. Like, no, you know, no, he hasn't. Not, not not all of them are as clear cut as this one, but. He's he's held his own in, in pretty much every fight he's had, and I guess that's that's what happens when you lead the league in fights. Uh, the only reason you're fighting that much is generally if you're winning them. You're not really going to get into that many fights if, if you're losing every single one. So uh, again, credit to uh, credit to Nick Deloyer for for kind of keeping that uh, enforcer role alive a little bit. I know it's uh, not the traditional enforcer role of past, but he's still he's still getting it done. What you th- I mean before we get to the next couple of goals, what do you think of? Uh... Of Jones playing less minutes five on five tonight than Kiefer Sherwood, who took two penalties. I was kind of surprised by that, just because I, I, Jones has been better than, than than Sherwood in my opinion. I was kind of surprised that the bench uh, didn't see more of Kiefer. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised uh, in tonight's game. Honestly, I, I felt like Max Jones and Sam Steele were two of the Ducks' best players tonight. 
Um, you know, Max Jones was was buzzing all night and kind of getting back to what we had seen late last year in terms of just being a threat and being a dangerous player offensively as well and, and, and just being a physical presence. I think, you know, you look at that net drive he had on Frank Kuz where it, it kind of started a second brawl uh, in, I think, the the third period there. So he's uh, he's kind of getting back to that. I was a bit, so, yeah, that, that's a bit surprising that uh, he ended up playing less five-on-five five than Kiefer Sherwood did. I'm not sure if that came down to maybe some more usage on the penalty kill. On the power or, play. Yeah, the he got more time on well. special teams for sure. But yeah. just five on five, I was kind of surprised by it. Not a big deal, just something I noticed. Um, let's talk about uh, Gooley from Raquel. I was like, wait a minute. Brendan Gooley's finally going to get on the board. I think he got his fourth of the year. It was a pretty slick cycle play. A lot of it had to do with Adam Henrique on both sides of the ice, penched in on the right half wall, and then comes around, gets the puck after the play circles around on the left half wall. Zips it down uh, to Raquel. Silverberg lets it go. It deflects off him over to Gooley. I mean, wide open net. No one saw him coming down. It looked like Irwin was playing for the Colorado Avalanche uh, on that play because uh, he didn't cover his man, and all of a sudden Gooley's over there to tap it in. Well, a nice kind of pl- uh, play there by Brendan Gooley to recognize that he was unmarked back there and to pinch into the play. Uh, you know, it's a dangerous play to make even if you are unmarked because if it does get caught, bounces behind you, uh, brims around the boards, then you are caught and you've got a, a, a very fast avalanche team. I'm not sure even who was on the ice at that point, but you risk you know, Nathan McKinnon being the guy going the opposite way one-on-one with whoever's left uh, back there to help defend. So it, it, it's a tough play to make, and I think it was a smart play by Brendan Gooley to pinch in here, and obviously it pays off for him in, in getting on the board. And, and I've liked his play over the last few games. I know the, the Ducks have had a ton of injury issues on, on the blue line, so it's tough to, to kind of judge their overall play when you get you know you lose three nothing in New Jersey and six two to the Blackhawks. But I feel like Brendan Gooley has been chipping more, uh, chipping in more offensively than we've been used to seeing from him. I think he's getting close to being back to form that we saw right when he came over so. from the trade from Brandon Montour where you know he was gelling with Cam Fowler. Uh, I mean, a long ways to go still for him as well. I mean, he, he spent most of the year in San Diego, and, and that trade hasn't gone as planned yet uh, for, for the Anaheim Ducks. But, I, you know, he's young. He's got time. These, these are the plays you want to see him jump up in and end up cashing in on. So hopefully, you know, we're seeing him build up and, and have a strong end of the season here and lead into next year. No, no, for sure. Let's get to the next one. Sherwood dumps the puck over the glass trying to break out of the zone. Ah, it's a power play. I hate that. I really hate that penalty a lot. I mean, it was like brought out for reasons where guys were intentionally zipping it over. But I don't know. That's another. That's another story for another time. How much I don't like it. But uh, Avs go to the power play and Landeskog. I mean, my God, let him circle that uh, that that area in the slot more than once. You're going to pay for it. That kind of what. That's kind of what happened here. He comes in off the top of the circle, kind of uncontested, and just rips it bar down on Ryan Miller. And now we also we have a tight game. I mean, what a freaking shot, though, dude. Yeah, nothing Miller could do out in front either. JT Conference blocking out the sun, and Matt Irwin's not doing a great job moving him out in front of the net, and that gives Landis Cog enough time to pick the short side corner. You know, if, if Miller can see that, I think he has it. It's on his glove side. He, he's done a good job cutting the angle, but he just does not see that release at all. And uh, it's a great job by Landeskog to pick the corner there and recognize that Miller can't or won't be able to see that shot, but somebody has to close into Landeskog there. 
uh, whether it's Brendan Gooley who kind of just has a stick out or it's the back checking forward that has to kind of get in there, somebody has to close in on Landis Cog. Like you said, you, you can't let him run circles around that right circle three or four times and then pick a shot. You, you've got to close in on him, play the body on him. Uh, you know, he's such a such a strong puck carry and a physical player that uh, you've got you've got to play the body on him. You, you just can't play off of him. You, you've you've got to play on him and play hard on him. And, and the Ducks gave him way too much space on that one. Yeah, is anyone listening right now? Is our audio fine? I, I someone hit me up saying that uh, my audio is twice as loud as Eddie's. Can someone confirm or deny that? Uh, let's keep this rolling though. This we'll look at that in the comments, but. Um, Let's get to the next period. It, it ends 2-2, end of one. Fun period, uh, I think, for both teams. The Ducks, I mean, really, you just saw they don't have the speed that the top-end teams do in the NHL. So we'll see what they do to answer that in the next coming seasons. But either way, they hung tight. Getting into the second period, though, here's one of the favorite plays of the night, hitting the post. Nakushkin hits the post. Um, and then right away, Donskoy gets another chance, rips it wide, in, in all alone on Miller. But then the Ducks would find a way to get things done on the power play. Ryan Getzloff with just a beautiful thread of the needle to Sam Steele, who found a real nice soft spot in that lower end of the circle and probably zips one past Frank Kuz, who I think he wanted that one back. Just wasn't down and and in position to up far enough in the crease to stop it. But uh, Steele's on the board. Ducks lead 3-2. This is great for, for Sam Steele to get on the board here. He struggled a bit. He was a healthy scratch to... What they said was to allow David Backus to get into the lineup, but you know, taking Sam Steele out and leaving Agazino in for that game against the New Jersey Devils—that's a bit of a a sign saying, "Hey, you got to get things going here." And, and you know, the fact that he rebounded so well in this game—I thought he played great five on five—and then obviously to get this goal on the power play. And you know, ninety percent of this is Ryan Getzlaff being able to make this play and, and get the pass out to him. But the positioning here by Steele and the, the hockey IQ to make sure he one-times that and at least gets the puck on net, I, I think is a you know a great effort by him and, and hopefully a sign that he's starting to turn things around too. The, the Ducks need Max Jones and Sam Steele, and you know Troy Terry got called up but didn't play today. They need those guys to get back to what we saw for them late last year where you know Sam Steele was almost a point-per-game player in his final 10 games with the Ducks 10 last year. Like They need him to get back to that level and you know hopefully this is a step forward and it's nice to see him cash one in yeah and you got to take advantage when you see guys that are puck watching and that's what the abs did on these last two goals right i mean there's and they're watching and they overload one side i know they're on the penalty kill here but getting caught puck watching and not taking your man it's nice to see the young players recognizing the opportunity and taking advantage right Gooley on the other play and then sam Steele here but uh immediately the broadcast liked to show right after this goal they, they all thought the ducks were going to move to play with the neutral zone trap the rest of the game. And it's like, they did on one play, but I really felt like that was a little overstated. I think it was Hayward. Of course it was Hayward. Yeah, but, of course uh, it was. <laughs> and then we get another place here where you see the Avs just, the speed is unreal. Donskoy, underrated guy, beats Larson to the slot, rips one off the post on a rush play. That's another one. And, dude, I don't dislike Jacob Larson as a player. I just think he's, you know, he's a fifth, sixth defenseman. You, you know, he is what he is. I don't understand. I see him do it more than once. Why are you taking the outside lane when a guy is driving the slot? Why would you not try to tie up the stick on the inside, right? I, I just I see it. Ha- I've seen it happen a lot to him, and I'm just like, yeah, dude. Decision making isn't quite there yet. I don't think for him. I, I mean, I you know to be fair, I think he's played better 
lately, and and with you know surprising with these key guys out of the lineup on the blue line. I feel like Jakob Larson has stepped up over the last five or six games here and, and played a little bit better. But then you have plays like this where he just makes the wrong decision, and and, and you know it doesn't end up hurting them in this case because Ryan Miller is there to bail them out. But I think when Jakob Larson gets put under pressure is when he tends to make big mistakes. You know, he, he's yeah. not quick on his feet when it comes to making the right decision and and you know hopefully that's something that comes but that that's a hard thing to learn to be able to just make the right quick decision or the safe play and and he just made the wrong play on this one and and we've seen that from him before and you know i he, he's a guy and I think all night is, in chicago yeah <laughs> all night in chicago that him and Irwin were notably not good oh man just um, a rough goal. he's one of those guys too that's auditioning right like this could be it for him because you've got a guy like Josh Mahura down in the minors. Now you've got Christian Juice, who's been playing great. Like the, the first four games for Christian Juice before tonight, he's been excellent for Anaheim. Phenomenal. And and you know you've got all these guys playing the left side, and once Lindholm and Fowler come back, you've only got one potentially two positions open. And right now that that spot goes to Christian Juice for me. I, I don't see how anybody takes it over him. Maybe Larson gets moved over to the right because the Ducks just have no right shot defenseman, and that's how he sticks around. But uh, you know, as for a long term option for the Ducks, I know it's only five games, but Christian Juice is making a real case to be the guy that sticks around over Jakob Larson. Yeah, and you know, Juice didn't have his best game tonight, but I don't think he was uh, he was out there making any mistakes that we thought were absolutely terrible. But also, too, you got to remember the second game of a back to back for all the guys. Um, and then, my God, the amount of minutes that these defensemen are playing. Did you look at this at the score line or the stat lines for those? No. Our question for five, uh, three stars tonight was which Ducks defend played the most minutes. I would guess, I would guess it was Christian Juice, but I don't know. Uh, it was Matt Irwin. Oh boy, 20, 27 minutes and thirty one seconds. Matt, Matt Irwin's played twenty seven minutes against the Colorado Avalanche, and you came out with a four three overtime win somehow. He was on the ice for three goals against, but on the ice for two. So yeah. that's a, that's yeah. But I mean, this whole team just got just blasted all night, and that's just because you're playing against the Avalanche. So yeah, Ducks Ducks take a three to two lead to the locker room, but not before Ryan Miller with another big stop, perfect pass by McKinnon. That was the you know one of the plays we're talking about. The guys open in the slot, and uh, it's just Miller on his game tonight with a nice blocker save. We would see that again later tonight. But let's get to the third period. Silverberg rips one from the slot to start it off. I mean, just a an awful giveaway. One of the few mistakes yeah. by the Avs. And unfortunately, I mean, they blamed it on uh, the goalie being a uh, funny goalie. You know, he catches with his right blockers with his left. And, I mean, probably right because most of the guys catch with their left. So Silverberg was like, oh, boy. And the blocker was there. So yeah. split, split second decision that kind of factors into it when – you know, you haven't seen this guy a lot before, first year in the NHL, and you really don't see many right... You know, you, you probably know at that point in the game, in the third period, that he's a righty, but, you know, that second where you don't think you're going to get a chance and all of a sudden the puck lands on your stick and you've got to get it off quick, and, you know, in the in maybe the first thought you have is, you know, he's a lefty. I gotta, I gotta, I'm going glove side here, and then all of a sudden you get that uh, that second when you remember, oh, no, he's, he's kind of... Uh, he's, He's a righty, and he's got the block on the left, and, and you make the, the difficult decision there. But that's Silverberg's play. I, I think that that's, you know, anytime he gets a shot where he's one-on-one on the goal and he's going to shoot it, he always shoots 
on his forehand. Like he's always shooting to that side, to the right side. He rarely goes across net, no matter if it's a lefty or a righty catcher. So I'm not super surprised. And you don't sure see him you... deke too often. He no, doesn't come in for no, a deke too often. Ever. I don't. I there's maybe a handful of times I've seen Silverberg come in on a breakaway and actually deke, and I'm not sure how many actually went in. Uh, yeah, we'll exclude shootouts from that, um, even yeah. though he, he primarily still shoots in the shootout anyway. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he is a, a 90% of the time he's going to shoot the puck, maybe even more than that. I don't, he rarely, rarely deeks anybody. So let's get to the other goal here from none other than Nathan McKinnon. Just it's the speed demon rushing in from his own zone through the neutral zone, backs the defense way, way off. They gave him way too much time. But, I mean, what are you going to do? That guy is just out of this world with his hands, his feet. I mean, and just picks that spot under the glove hand of Ryan Miller. And also we have a tie game, man, 3-3. That's typical classic Nathan McKinnon. It's so hard to pick apart guys when you have the best players in the world doing this. You're like, you want to just crap on on a player, but you're like, what are you going to (laughs) do? Who was that he did that to? Was that Larson or Irwin? Uh, It was, oh, shoot. Who, who's 52 on the Ducks? That's who oh, it was. it's Irwin. It's Irwin, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's a tough one. I mean, no matter who you have there, you know, McKinnon just rips in through the blue line. He's got a full head of steam. And, and not too many players can make that cut and keep that speed where he cuts 90 degrees into the center of the ice and keeps his speed and then just wires a shot on one foot and, and has the accuracy to still beat Miller, I think, five-hole on that shot. Like, that's under, why under the, under the glove hand is where he yeah, gets it. Yeah. Th- that's why he's one of the, the best players in this league. You were waiting for this type of play from Nathan McKinnon uh, in this game. It obviously gets it on the power play, but it, it really, you know, it's a power play goal, but it really wasn't a power play goal in, in terms of they didn't set up. He just came into the zone. If it was five on five, he still would have scored that. Like that, that's still a play no matter what. Nathan McKinnon came out and he said, I'm going to score on this play. I'm going to beat you. I don't care who's going against Eddie, me. Eddie, we lost you, man. Poor connection. That it's that uh, Canadian Canadian internet. No, I was still going here, but it's uh, a poor connection for someone. <laughs> uh, either way, Nathan McKinnon uh, unstoppable when he gets ahead of steam. No, absolutely, man. What are you going to do about that? Now we get to some of the fun stuff, the physical stuff. Um, everyone knows the Ducks. We already talked about it. You know, have everyone in their goalie's kitchen. No one's happy about it. Getzloff takes exception to Nemestikov, taking an extra whack at Miller, comes in, tries to bowl him over, and all hell kind of breaks loose. But no one's dropping the gloves at this point. Tie game. For whatever reason, the Ducks, and maybe they probably wanted to fight, but the Avs aren't having any of that. Um, and then we get to see more of it. Max Jones drives to the front of the net. Shortly after, I, I would kind of want to feel like he did it on purpose, right? If When we talk yeah. to Max, he likes the physical side of the game. He loves, you know, he loves doing it, loves agitating. He wants to get in people's face. I would, I would kind of lean on the side of him driving into Frank Kuz uh, on purpose on that play, but he did get helped by Barrio, um, and a fight almost breaks out there. So kind of a kind of a fun few minutes if you're into the physical stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I I struggle to think he did that on purpose, but it's Max I, Jones, I like so you never so. know. He was smiling in the penalty box. Yeah, because well, he loves <laughs> he loves the brawl. He almost he almost started after that. I think he loses his footing a bit on um, you know on that rush to the net, and, and I think you know the speed he had going into that, the angle he had to take. I don't think he meant to crash into and then hurt Frankuz, but yeah, that uh, 
that effort. There's no way he was stopping. I don't think he, you know, he knew he was going to hit him by that point, and and you know, I don't think he was going to stop. But there, there was an effort there, and, and I appreciate it. And the fact that he got into it and mixed it up after the whistle is a classic Max Jones move. But yeah, man, I uh, I'm, I'm surprised there was no fights after that. I'm not sure if the Avs were put off a bit of the beating that Delore laid on on Belmar earlier in the game that they didn't want to get you know, mix it up any any bit more than that, but. Uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised. It got chippy. Like, this is a weird game to get chippy. I'm, I'm a bit surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, the Ducks trying to play spoiler, I guess, right? Um, so this game would go to overtime, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show. You all know the ending, but let's talk about the overtime, dude. It was a lot of fun to watch. That's my favorite hockey to watch, both teams. I, I really thought the Ducks were not going to be able to pull this one out against the Avs to be real with you. When it went to OT, I was like, oh, boy, uh, that's not good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, with the speed that they have, and obviously Nathan McKinnon is going to probably play two to three minutes of overtime, you you kind of felt like, uh, and, and the, the the Ducks' history in overtime too is not great in three on three overtime, uh, so it just kind of felt like a perfect storm for it to be one of those quick ends, you know, within the first minute, uh, McKinnon's oh, yeah. out there to start, the Ducks turn it over, McKinnon gets a breakaway or two on one, and he ends up scoring. He came close a bunch of times, and it was uh, and. and it wasn't really an end-to-end overtime. It was just an exciting overtime, and the Avs had like three or four chances, like golden chances to end oh, yeah. it. And uh, Miller McKinnon made a couple saves. Yeah, McKinnon had a couple. Yeah, Gerard had a breakaway. They had he had a two-one-zero with Tyson Yost, and Yost just peeled off. I guess he was just tired or, or gassed or something. Uh, but uh, Miller stopped that one. Then Yost had a breakaway, and Miller stopped that one too. Uh, and the Ducks had a few chances, but it really was all Avs for the most part. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, uh, Natural Statrick saying that the Ducks were outshot 7-5 to five in overtime. But that's a lot of shots in overtime mm-hmm. for both teams combined. That's a lot. But with only one high-danger chance, and they made the most of it, which was amazing, Ricard Raquel uh, gets the chance and buries it. Um, unless you want to call Irwin's miss at the side of the net that high danger chance i don't know yeah Raquel, i don't know about that <laughs> Mikel absolutely just rips it um it may have gone off it deflected uh, Gerard's st- I, it, i'm just gonna say 100 percent deflected no, we don't. i thought it was a perfect, perfect shot, shot at first perfect it shot. uh but you know you look at how far out he was this little nice uh the gila fleur fake slap shot <laughs> comes in <laughs> and then why is it wrist shot i was expecting like uh to follow through with the, just the the one inch off the ice slap shot, and uh, Frank Coos just Gary Cheevers it and and falls over, and uh, <laughs> has to go five hole off his stick yeah, or something stupid yeah, like that. Cal gets the OT winner, but uh, yeah, I thought it was a perfect shot at first. No matter what, like this is even if it's deflection, this is the type of goal Ricard Raquel needed. Seventeen game slump. I'm I'm sure it's gotta be the longest slump of his career. Oh, um, it's gotta be. Yeah, I, I, I could not have seen you know another, another time or a time period in his career where we had a longer strump, a slump without scoring a goal. But I mean, he needed this one bad. And and whether it takes a deflection or whatnot uh, to the OT winner uh, with one point two seconds left in overtime, like this, this hopefully gets Ricard Raquel going. Like right now, it's not. Ricard Raquel doesn't have to get going so the the Ducks can get into a playoff spot or to help the Ducks win. He needs to get going for him. Like this is, you know, going to be a a when everything's said and done, a down season for Ricardo Raquel for back to back years after having back to back thirty goal seasons. Likely he's not gonna hit twenty this year. He needs to finish 
this year strong and, and take that confidence and that momentum into next year. I know it's a long, obviously a long time between the end of this year and the beginning of next year, but he needs to finish this year strong and, and come off this 17-game slump with a with a few goals here over the next couple games. Yeah, let's hope so, man. It, it's a tough one for him. And, you know, people have kind of mentioned on Twitter, too, you see, like, what happened to Silverberg all of a sudden, too, right? He's not scoring a bunch of goals. I mean, you got to understand, if you look at the lineup, everybody who's pissed like twitter gets way too pissed and that's kind of why i like twitter it's fun in that way um i mean at least that's why i like it but i mean the, the lineup sonny milano ryan getzloff and danton heinen that's our top line by the way mm-hmm. on paper uh ricard raquel adam henry jack of silverwork better really good actually probably their best line jones steel sherwood it could be good could be bad the kids haven't really you know, come up to the standard that everyone has set for them. So people are pissy about the kids. And then the fourth line is the fourth line, which has actually been a fun line and producing. So this is definitely not the strongest team on paper. Um, and then everyone can everyone just back off Ryan Ketzloff too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, come on, strip the C away, whoever that guy was. Uh, like, I mean, it's Facebook. That's where all those comments come from anyway. But oh, to be Facebook honest. are hell. But yeah, those are yeah. hell. We're, we were t- we were talking about guys slumping and guys cooling off. Uh, I'm not super surprised that Jakob Silverberg has cooled off because this is this is what he does. Like this is his whole career. He gets hot and then he gets cold. Like he is a streaky player. He's always been a streaky player. He's gotten really cold lately. He was on pace for like 30, 35 goals. He'll be lucky to to hit uh, to hit that at all this year. Did we bet on him? Who'd you bet on that with? Uh, it, I always bet on on that for like the last three years with Brett. Uh, Brett Brett couldn't make it live today, but uh, yeah, every year he thinks Silverberg could hit thirty. I think since we started the show, and uh, I've always said he can't do it. And it's nothing against Jakob Silverberg; he's just too streaky of a player. Like he gets hot, and everybody's like, "Man, Silverberg, this is the year he's gonna do it. He's gonna hit 30. And honestly, I was I was almost on board with that the way he was playing this year. Like, I thought he, he had a good chance to do it. But in the back of my mind, I'm always like, man, he could just cool off and, and get so cold for a long stretch here, especially with, with how inept this team is at scoring goals as a team. And, uh, you know, look where we are now. The, if he hits 30 now, he's going to have to go on an absolute heater to, to hit 30. I think, what's he at now? I think 22, 23. Is he even over? The, I'd, I'd be surprised if he had that many. I, just uh, I know Henrique, Henrique's leading the team with 24. Henrik's been great this year. He really uh, has. Silverberg has. Oh, man, he's not even at 20. He's yeah, at I 18. Say, I thought he was over 20. 18 goals. Jeez, he'll be lucky to hit 20 this year. And uh, to, to get anywhere near 30. He's had a rough go of it, man. He hasn't scored since February 17th in Calgary. You know what? I'm going to go back to this, but you look at, you know, I think it was leading up to the All-Star break. And when he got announced for the All-Star game, he was hot. And he was playing well, and his value was at an all-time peak. And I was fully on board with, let's trade Jakob Silverberg now. <laughs> his value is never going to be higher than it was at that point. And nope, no people are like, no, let's not trade him. He's, he's finally you know, coming to his own. He's get, getting that offensive role under Dallas Aikens. He's going to be a 30-goal scorer this year. And, and then he cooled off. And not to say his trade value is is lower, per se, because he does a lot of things outside of his offense that makes him a valuable player in his two-way play and his defensive acumen. But the teams look at this, and, and, you know, he's cooled off a lot. And and 
He has a history of being a streaky player, and that affects your value. And if the Ducks are looking to make a splash at the draft, which I think they still could, you should look at Bob Murray's Bob Murray's comments after the trade deadline. He's using these last 20 games to look at his his players between 25 and 29. There's only a few guys in that range. I think five or six guys. Well, I'll let you know. I'm going back to Bobby's breakfast bonanza this Saturday. Uh, So uh, good friend of mine and friend of the show, Jimmy's taking me. So I'll be ready to uh, take some notes on what Bobby's going to do the rest of the season. Uh, I mean, I I think one one of those guys, I think, gets traded. I mean, the last time Bob Murray made comments about uh, an age range of players not being leaders. Brandon Montour. Yeah, got but he also said he's going to go and get like I want to get a power play guy, a big defenseman power play guy. Was that Erica Branson? No. Well, yeah. I mean, when he said that, uh, I think Justin Falk was his guy that he wanted Kevin to get Shattenberg for that. Was his guy too. Kevin Shattenkirk and Justin yeah. Falk were his guys for that, and he had to settle with Erica Branson because nothing else was available. Um, and then. You know, at the uh, at the deadline, he said he added speed and, and power play specialists um, in in Milano and and Kristen Juice, which I mean, yeah, Milano, Heinen, Juice have all been very very good since joining the Ducks. So I can't criticize them too much, but yeah, you, you can never fully analyze what Bob Murray says when you know he'll he says that adding Juice in Milano and Heinen added a lot of speed and 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 will and improve he wanted the them Ducks for the power, power play. play too, yeah. But yeah. let's talk. You, you mentioned Gabranson. We talked about defensemen here. Let's talk about the Ducks' injuries. Cammy's out eight games. Lindy's out four games. Gabranson misses thirteen games, and then now Josh Manson out with an upper body injury. Are Which we not the broadcast gonna... said was an illness yesterday, and he, they said he left uh, with the flu. Boy. So, and then no update came out until I think the or I didn't see this actually. The Ducks Twitter account had apparently put out that he had an upper body injury, and I just missed it. So I went this whole day today thinking he'd be in tonight because he just had the flu, and then I found that tweet earlier today and found out he had an upper body injury too. Thanks to uh, <laughs> to Hayward and Ellers for getting me uh, my hopes up. Yeah, and we have no idea what's going on. They said that they probably don't ex- expect updates. On Lindholm or, or any or on Lindholm in particular, they said until they get back to Anaheim. They said Goody and Cammy were like a week out the other day, so maybe we see them next yeah. week. But that's that's tough. Losing those four guys is really really rough. That's a rough freaking roster when you look at the starting lineup and you have Matt Irwin playing almost twenty eight minutes. I mean, <laughs> it, it, so it is it is, and and uh, but at the same time, heading into tonight's games, the Ducks had the fourth best odds at uh, the first overall draft pick as well. So when you're not going to make a playoff push and your only solace uh, of getting something out of this season is getting a higher draft pick, uh, it's not the worst timing to have these injuries. Obviously, we don't want guys to get injured. but And, and, and it also gives you a chance to get a better look at some of these guys, at Jakob Larson, at Kristen Juice, at Matt Irwin. Like to get a look at, at these guys and who you want to stick around for next year. Same with Michael Delzato. I mean, he's an unrestricted free agent. I doubt he comes back, but you're getting a good long look. And same with Brendan Gooley. Like, pretty much all of these guys need a longer look, and they're getting some big minutes. And some guys are impressing. Christian Juice is one of them, and some guys aren't. Jakob Larson and Matt Irwin are among those. So it, it, it almost is a blessing in disguise for the Ducks to be able to have the injuries to these guys at this point in the season whether you know they're losing essentially helps the team and it also gives you a better chance to give some of these guys more minutes and see who plays well 
No, I agree. And then one of those guys, do you think we're going to see him coming up right now? He's uh, the AHL Rookie of the Month, but Maxime Comtois has been lighting it up down there with the Gulls, and there was an article put out on The Athletic. If you guys, we always pump that all the time by Jordan Samuels Thomas about how he feels that Max, although his overall game looks good in San Diego, thinks he's better suited for the NHL, and we're going to see that kind of offense and more, more than likely coming up to the NHL whenever he gets up here in a solid role. But uh, do you think we see him down the stretch here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Neither. Uh, Troy oh, Terry, I think Bobby's going to keep it the way it is. Yeah, I, I they think they just want him to continue to dominate, dominate down there. Um, you know, we've seen Troy Terry go up and down, and he's played well. I mean, clearly, Shell isn't a struggle for Troy Terry anymore. He's also a year older, and I don't think they're looking for that from him anymore. But Maxim Comtois at that stage in his development where dominate dominated in junior, then he got sent to the AHL and he played okay. But now they wanted to see him dominate the AHL before they felt he was ready to come back up to the NHL. And you know he's done that for a month, and and let's you know no point in calling him up now. Let's see if he can finish the season that way and go into the playoffs with San Diego and keep doing that. You know, any any player can have a hot month, uh, but I think this is is the start of Maxime Comtois coming into his own and, and getting used to playing, you know, at the professional level, and and that's what you want to see from players like this is progress. Is, is you know, like I said, dominating at junior, then coming up and playing in the AHL and dominating there, and then coming up to the NHL and and making that full adjustment. And I think Maxime Comtois is is on his way to being that player, but I think it's premature if you're going to call him up this year. There's almost no point in calling no, him up this season's year. the season's lost. Let him, let him just stay down there and, and keep it up because I think, I mean, a lot of the expectation, too, is that he's his goal-scoring guy, but the article even says he had a you know 2.9% shooting percentage in his first 18 games, and now it's about up to 9%. So it just took a while to correct itself, but a lot of expectation also came from when he played in Drummondville, right? I mean, 31 goals in 25 games. Yep. You're thinking this kid's lighting it up. He's going to come into the NHL and, and be a 20-goal guy and maybe a 45-, 50-point guy uh, in the first couple of seasons, and it just didn't happen. You know, A lot of expectation on the kid. Uh, sometimes players just take longer to develop, but he's, he's 21, yeah. and I think there's a lot left he has to give. You know who I think we might see this year? Hopefully. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Simon Benoit? No, no, no. Nowhere close. Uh, Trevor <laughs> Zegris. You think uh, so? I'm still hoping we see him. Uh, the last two games of the season for Boston University are March 6th and March 7th against North Northeastern before they um, go into the playoffs and, and you know essentially could be knocked out at any time. And, and that's when Trevor Zegers' season is on the line and his potential to come join the Ducks could be sooner or, or later, depending on how far they go. Um, so I, you know, I don't remember when playoffs start, and Boston University doesn't have that uh, listed on their website here. But he could be here, just you know, anywhere from mid to late March, potentially, depending on how their playoff run goes. This is a guy I hope, and obviously he still has to sign his ELC, but I really hope we get to see at <laughs> least like two or three games of him this year, just get a taste. Like you know, the, the Canucks got a taste of Quinn Hughes last year. When uh, he mm-hmm. he came over from Michigan and signed his ELC uh, after playing one year in the NCAA, I really I, I can't see what Trevor Zegers could benefit from another season in the NCAA. Has thirty three points in thirty games there. Like he's one of the best freshmen in the class. He's doing better than Turcotte, doing better than than Cole Caulfield. 
and and the only freshman uh, his age doing better than him is Alex Newhook. The the freshman scoring leader is like two years older than both of these guys. He's like twenty one. So the fact that Zegers is just dominating, playing on the top line in the NCAA over a point per game player, like there's no there's no way he needs to go back. I can't see why he'd want to go back. And the Ducks need some sort of injection of excitement here near the end of the season. And at least, you know, he could come in and be pointless in three games. I don't care. I just want to see him play, see him in a Ducks jersey for the last three games here just to build that hype for next year. I mean, do you do you realistically think or are you just hoping? I, I realistically think he could play. I, I just think it depends on how early his season ends. I, I honestly think... If their season ends early enough and he can come up and play, you know, four or five games, I think when his season ends, I think the Ducks are going to sign him to an ELC not long after that. I don't. I, I, I would assume his mind's got to be close to being made up on if he's going to stay there for another year or, or sign with the Ducks. And I would lean towards him, you know, signing with the Ducks, signing that ELC, uh, and coming up and playing a few games this year. And, and then uh, I, I'm not sure somebody asked the question in the chat here, uh, if he can play with the goals in the playoffs, I'm not. Mm. I'm not sure how that works. I know in the CHL you can, because I know when Max Jones his when he was playing with the Knights and his season ended, he was allowed to come up and play with San Diego in the playoffs. I'm not sure if that's the same process for the NCAA. There's a chance it could be. If it's the same, then yes, Trevor Zegers can play for the goals in the playoffs, and that would also be a big part of why the Ducks would sign him to an ELC for sure, not just to get him a few games in the NHL, but also to, to set him down to San Diego and get some AHL playoff time and really see his development down there in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so I think that will go into it. But uh, Chris was saying he's not eligible for AHL playoffs. Um, so Chris there, there would probably must know be, better than us. Yeah, there, there, there <laughs> must be... Um, there must be different rules for the NCAA, and I'll look into that more and hopefully have an answer on the next show. But point point is, I, I think and hope uh, we'll see Trevor Zegras at some point for a few games this year. You know what other really good center is exciting this season? I, I know. Enlighten me. <laughs> uh, Derek Grant with four points in four games with the Philadelphia Flyers. What do you think about that? perfect guy for that team when that trade was made um i think flyers fans weren't exactly sure what they were getting plus made right after i think the flyers got nate thompson so they're like why do we need Derek grant we got yeah. the same player here in, in nate thompson no you, you didn't get the same player uh Derek grant fits into what philly's doing so well philly destroyed washington tonight they're one point out of so the weird. metro lead they showed a graphic on tv today on the broadcast uh, on January 8th, they were 15 points back of the Capitals. They, they, the Flyers had 50 points, and the Caps had 65. And um, and then now, and they were in fifth, sorry, the Flyers were in fifth, and the Caps were in first. And now with the win tonight, the Flyers are one point behind the Capitals. They have 85 points. The Caps have 86. So they made up a 14-point gap so in ridiculous. just under two months and are, are likely a lock for the playoffs and, and could make a deep run. And a guy like Derek Grant is going to be extremely valuable for them in the playoffs. And, and, I, and I'm so happy for him that he is joining what's likely going to be a playoff team now. We, know we weren't sure right. when the trade was made if the Flyers were going to be a legitimate playoff team. They were kind of right on that bubble. 
Uh, I don't think there's any way they fall out now, and they're they're one of the hottest teams in the league. Their offense since that time has been the best offense in the NHL. Uh, I really hope he gets on a roll here with the Flyers. They make a long run because he he deserves it for sure. The way he's kind of stuck around and, and been a solid piece for the Ducks, I, I you know I wish him all the best. Let's talk about the offside rule change briefly because this is definitely going to be on Pucks and Brews this weekend for our Patreon show. Yes. Um, what's your Thank initial? God. Give give a thirty second take. That's two on words. The offside rule change. Thank God it's being changed. Thank then God. Why is Twitter so upset about it? Because are they? Upset about it. Yeah. Well, people are like, it's going to make it harder to review. How are you going to know the angle of the guy's skate if it's in the air? How are you going to know if he's like skating? I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't matter Apparently, necessarily about the skate. You just need a piece of it to break the plane. Yeah. You just need a piece of equipment to skate to break the plane. I was I was listening to TSN radio I think today and they were talking about this and uh, apparently Pierre LeBron on on a broadcast a couple days ago had said that 13 goals had been disallowed this year because the the skate was off the ice and it does, it counts as being offside because the skate was off the ice isn't that ridiculous? You know, you're in a league where they're trying to create more offense and have more goals. I don't know. And it took this long, and you had 13 goals disallowed this year because of that rule. I've been saying it rule. since this stupid ass rule came into play. We've been saying it all the time. Every every time it happens, especially every time it happens to the Ducks, we're like, why it's is this dumb. still a thing? Uh, I'm so glad they're changing, and I can't wait for it uh, because it was so stupid. Like the guy was not offside in his body position. His skate was just off the ice, but you're in a like you're in a skating motion. Like your mm-hmm. skate's gonna come off the ice at it's some the point. Shit ever. Uh, but thank God they're changing it. Like I, I'm so I'm so disappointed it took this long to change. Uh, but you know the fact that they finally at least are getting it right and and that's changing is at least a good sign. Let's hope Jason is very much a contrarian and has this opinion of how much he hates this rule change. I would laugh. I think he does. does. I'm sure he's going to hate it. Just based off our discussions with it before, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. We're going to talk about this most likely on Sunday uh, during our Patreon episode. So if you haven't checked us out on Patreon, it's a good time to to promote that. Check us out on Patreon, Puck Guys Forever Mighty at patreon.com. Look at our tiers. Look at our giveaways that we we do. Um, We're doing two Pucks and Bruce shows this month. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because we ran yeah. out of time with that stupid ass last month. month. <laughs> Same as last month. So I'm not forgetting it, but we'll get it done. Um, Duck signed somebody who I had no idea who he was. Can you yeah. explain to me who Bryce Kindop is? Because I, I no yeah, I had no idea until they signed him. Um, he's an overager in the in the WHL. Plays for the Everett Silver Tips. Uh, it's, it's become a I don't say a tradition for the Ducks, but every year they seem to sign one overager from the CHL. Uh, we remember, you know, the one that comes to mind for me a couple of years ago was Giovanni Fiore, who yep. they signed out of the QMJHL after his 50 goal season. Um, so another one of those kind of additions for the Ducks here. Uh, kind of has 38 goals and 71 points in 60 games this year, which is is impressive. But for an overager, he's 20, going to be 21 in June. Um, it's not amazing, and it's not a huge increase off his 73 points to 67 games the season before that. Um, so it, it's a nice signing. I, I can't see him ever being much more than an AHL guy, just like Giovanni Fiore was. Uh, but he could prove me wrong. You know, I, I haven't done too much digging into his, you know, his play other than offense. So there might be 
other attributes to his game that could get him to the NHL. So if you know he he could be a bottom six forward potentially because of that. Um, but you know it's it's not a a signing that blows your doors off and you say wow I can't believe the Ducks got this guy. Uh, hopefully, no. hopefully he can at least add to the goals and, and potentially you know have a few call ups and impress while he's up here. But uh, I, I can't see him being a big impact player at any point. What's your overall feel for the new additions? It's been five games. The new guys on the team. Who's impressed you the most besides Kristen Juice? Because he's definitely the guy that everyone's talking about. Yeah, uh, you know Kristen Juice would would be at the top of that list. But I, I think you know the obvious two after that are, are Milano and Heinen. Um, I think Milano just never stops going. Uh, He's got a great motor, and he always seems to be engaged. Every time I I see him do anything, it's usually on the positive side. I haven't seen him make too many mistakes, Uh, uh, which which I think is a bit surprising when you look at what Columbus fans were, were saying after his first game. We're like, yeah, you're going to get this for now, and then it's then it's going to tail off. And you know, yeah, I know it's only been five games, but I think you know all five games, all five games he's played in, he's looked good and he's played with some energy. So hopefully that can continue. Uh, and then Danton Heinen, I think, has been as advertised. Like he he's not a flashy player. He's responsible. No. He's he's defensively responsible. He just kind of goes about his business, and he's a smart enough hockey player that he just finds himself in good positions. You know, look at the play. Um, where Christian Juice got on the puck and he was just wide open for a tap in for an empty net goal, um, and, and just kind of his his passing is safe. Everything about Danton Heinen is safe, but he doesn't make any mistakes. Like he's just he a reliable take penalties, which yeah. is who he was traded for. Yeah, exactly. Which is already <laughs> a plus side there. He's already put up, I think, about four points in four games or four points in in five games now. I think he had an assist tonight too. Uh, so he, he's, just a, he's just a reliable guy. And, and honestly, I think he's like a key piece for the Ducks going forward. Whenever they get back to being competitive again, he just feels like he could be that third-line forward or third-line winger that just you can throw out in any situation and he can just get things done. And he's also one of those guys you can bump in the lineup and you know he's capable enough to produce. Like he's been playing on the power play for the Ducks because – Really, there's nobody else to put on the power play, uh, and he's been playing up on on the second line and now the first line tonight. So he's getting some chances here, but he just is one of those guys. Like he's just one of those guys you can move up and down the lineup. He's never gonna you know make too many mistakes. You don't have to worry about putting him up or down the lineup, and he's just a, a safe guy to kind of plug and play anywhere you want him to go. Well, let's get to the fan questions now. We got one from Tom. This is a good one, man. I've heard this talked about quite a bit. Um, especially for my friends who are Ducks fans. We've, I mean, we've talked about it. Why do the Ducks lack a consistent in front of the net and goal crease, goal crease presence? Is it the system, the players, combination of these, and or other factors? I'm going to go ahead and say it's the, it's the type of players that are out on the ice when these things happen. Really? I, I, I do think so. I, I think part of it is that, but I would I would also say it has to do with um, Dallas Aikens. Dallas Aikens and the players. I mean, they don't have these big, tough, rough guys outside of Gabranson that's going to come into the front of them. I mean, you saw Delorier a couple games ago come up and grab a guy and throw him off the side. Like, hey, don't come in and get it in Gibby's kitchen like that. But, I mean, you don't see Oh, you're talking on the defensive side? Yes. Okay. I thought we were talking offense. No, 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 no. Defensive side of things. I I really think it has to do with with the type of players that we have as defensemen. I mean, Jason said it. You're never going to see Lindy do it. You're never going to see Cammy do it. Those guys are just not made to do that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure the Ducks are trying to stay out of the box when they're out there. So you're not going to see Goody or, or Manson go nuts. But, I mean, 
they got to do a little more than what they're already doing. You see too many sticks go free in front and a lot of tapping goals that happen because of the guys not paying attention around the net. Um, what about you? I, I mean, I feel like it's a, a split between Aikens and the players, but I mean, that guy feels like a chicken shit answer. No, I think defensively I would agree with that. I think it's it's a mix of both. I think I don't think that's a part of, of Dallas Aikens' defensive structure per se, but I also think the Ducks don't really have those guys – to do that. I mean, Josh Manson, yeah, he's a big guy, but he just never has been that net-clearing guy. And I don't necessarily think you have to be a strong, big player to be that net fronts, like, goal-crease-clearing guy on the blue line. You you just have to be a player, you know, good bounce, strong in your feet, and have a good stick. And I, I just, I don't think the Ducks have that guy. You also, you, you can't be, you know, the first guy to think, you know, we got the puck, I'm out of the zone, and I'm going. And, and right. Cam Fowler's that guy, and you know Jakob Larson is sometimes that guy. Brandon Gooley is that guy. Like, the, the Ducks don't have that guy who's like, all right, you know, I'm going to clear the crease, and then I'm going to I'm going to stick back, and I'm going to hang back here, and I'm going to let let them go up the ice, and and maybe you know Goody could is is kind of that guy, but again, like you know along the same lines, I don't think the Ducks are trying to take penalties there, and there's a lot of players who draw penalties in that prime spot, yeah. um, in the league nowadays. Uh, and then I wanted to flip this too because I think on offense. I think this question can apply to offense too, and, and and if I was to apply this to offense, I I fully think it's uh, at least this year it's a, it's a Dallas Aiken system thing. Like the Ducks are a high event hockey team, they rarely set up and, and control play in the offensive zone, so it just doesn't lend itself to having a an offensive net front presence. Now we saw it a yep. bit under Randy Carlisle, where you know Nick Ritchie would be that guy, Corey Perry would be that guy. Uh, and the Ducks were more of a, a possession-based team where they would set up and, and try and cycle the puck around. Uh, they're just not that team right now. I don't think you need a big guy on the offensive side to be that either. Like clearly nowadays you don't have to. You just have a good no. have to have a good stick, strong in your feet, and have a good stick and get some deflections, and, and that's it to, to be a net front presence guy. When you look at the the Avs power play, JT Comfer was their net presence front presence guy. He's not a small guy, but he's by no means a big guy. Just as a no, good stick. it's decision making in hockey sense. Is when you look at the offensive side of things, for sure. Yeah. So right. Dave asks, what are the odds and percentages of the chances that you see that we think Ricard Raquel gets traded at the draft? Miss. That's tough. You're selling low, if unless he gets hot here on the last stretch. But even so, teams will look at his final numbers on the year and look uh, at his contract and be like, mm, yeah. that's a good risk. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and, and you know. To, to their credit, they'll look at back-to-back not-so-great seasons, and and that's what they'll throw in the in the face of Bob Murray and say, you're asking this for him? Well, look at his last two seasons. And, yeah, and Bob, and Bob Murray, will be like, well, hey, man, I take on bad contracts, and I don't bring in uh, I don't bring in top elite players. So, I mean, my guys, they just suffer, dude. I mean, what do you want to do? It's, it's, such a, it's such a weird situation to be in because, like, he's only – this would be his fourth kind of full season in the league, and he had two great th- – Seasons where he had back-to-back thirty-goal seasons, and now he's had two non-great years. So now we're at a fifty-fifty split, and we're we're wondering like, which player is this guy? Like, is he a thirty-goal scorer? Is he, you know, a not-so-great player in terms of he, you know, he's under twenty and he's a forty-point guy, or is he somewhere in between that? I, I think he's somewhere in between that, where he's a twenty-twenty-five goal scorer, maybe you know, a fifty to sixty-point guy on a good year. Um, and I don't think you trade those guys, especially. I mean, uh, he- Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, he's in, his, he's in his sixth full season, right? So he had nine goals, 20, 33, 34, 18, 14 now. Uh, yeah, he's kind of trailed off. 
Yeah. But, I, I again, there's just plenty of time for him to turn around, and those two years came in poor years for the Ducks where they weren't good. And his good his good seasons came in good years for the Ducks where they were a good team. So it's it's tough to judge him right now. And I, I think with how good his contract is and the fact that the value is probably going to be low because he isn't playing that well, I don't think this is a guy you trade right now. Like Teams no. are looking at this and they're saying, I am on this guy like i am on bob murray to get this guy he is a perfect bounce back candidate and he will cost me nothing like you have to think teams like tampa bay and, and teams that are hot, like really close against the cap ricard raquel is going to be top on their list oh you would have to of, think so for sure yeah only making three million dollars has shown 30 goal potential you know you you have the ducks maybe eat you know a million dollars of that and, and then you're you're paying this guy like two million dollars and you just throw him into your top six and, and play him with some better players in, in, a, in a very good team, and he becomes a complimentary piece. Uh, he he is you know the, if out of any player like he is primed for a bounce back season. You just can't trade him, especially at this age. Like I just I can't see a scenario where it makes sense to trade him unless you are getting full value, which I think you know Chris brought it up. That's got to be close to what the Penguins paid for Jason Zucker in terms of a first round pick, a high end prospect. And then obviously um, the, they ate some uh, salary on that where the Wild did by taking back Alex Gilchenyuk. But that that's at least where the return starts for me with Ricard Raquel as a first-round pick and a high-end prospect. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, so Derek asks, just want to know our opinion on Christian Juice. Uh, we've already praised him a bunch. We're five games in. He's played 76 minutes, five-on-five five right now for the Ducks. His expected goals are great. Is if you well, if you're a Corsi guy, his Corsi's great as well. Uh, he's looked good a lot. He's made some nice outlet plays for the Ducks. I think overall, like you already mentioned, we are we both that he's he's been the best player that Ducks have picked up in this in the in the uh, at the trade deadline. I mean, this could really solidify a spot on the roster and get rid of I don't know a couple of one of the guys that uh, we keep talking about that turn the puck over a bunch. <laughs> but um, yeah. I would much rather have him in the lineup. Than, uh, than than the guys we're seeing in the five six role now. Yeah, I think this one initially stung for a lot of people because there's a bunch of people who still believe Daniel Sprong could be uh, a very good player in the NHL. Maybe. And, and the Ducks were were ready to give him, and, and they ended up getting Christian Jews. I think it stings a bit less now for those people. Now that uh, the the way Christian Jews played over the last five games, and especially the last four heading into this one, like you'd mentioned. Corsi four percentage. He had a fifty-seven point seven six Corsi four percentage heading into tonight. A fifty-seven point five nine expected goals four percentage. Like he is driving offense for this team, and, and he's among. I think he I think he's second in both of those categories. Uh, second to Delzato, I think it was, and Corsi four, and then second to Getzloff and expected goals for. So he is uh, he he has been a valuable piece to this team, especially with the injuries the Ducks have had to their blue line. And he's the only one that's stepped up. Like, Larson has played better, but he hasn't stepped up to that level, I don't think. You know, Delzato, Irwin, those aren't really guys who you think are going to step up, and, and they haven't. Uh, you know, he is that guy, I think, right now, who's solidifying his spot for the team next year. And he's he's making the most of his opportunities. And like I said, he's making that, uh, that Sprong deal sting a bit less. Like Dave says in the chat, Sprong who? Like, that is... Chris and Juice is doing that right now. We're We're not... You know, so much reflecting on what's, what could have been for Daniel Sprong. We're looking at what we have now and, and, and the way Christian Juice is playing. No, I definitely agree. I, he's, he's been great. I hope he's a mainstay. 
and he's able to uh, when those four, when the top four come back. I mean, he's going to slot in in five six somewhere down there. But that's it's he's exponentially better than either one of Irwin or Larson just in the first five games that we've seen. I mean, it's hard to argue against that, right? I mean, you're definitely going to want to suit him up over one of those guys. Yeah, no, you you have to, and I, I think you know it's it's again a small sample size, but. Um, if he continues playing like this for the rest of the, for the rest of the year, I think he's played his way onto the team next year. I, I can't see, and, and maybe that opens the door to trading a guy like Jakob Larson. I know Delzato's gone, and I think Irwin is also gone at the end of this year. I'd have to double check his contract. So you've got some guys moving out. So maybe you know Larson and uh, Juice stick around. But if the Ducks are making a decision between Mahura, Juice, Larson. Um, you know, anybody else that kind of goes into that mix as a fringe player right now, Juice is making a good case to be the one that sticks around. Days yeah, an RFA next year. This offseason, so is Jacob Larson, so is Del Zotto as a UFA. Brendan Gooley's an RFA, and Matt Irwin's a UFA. So just yeah, about so everybody. The Ducks have some, some decisions to make there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the RFAs definitely all get contracts. It, just, it doesn't mean they all stick around, though. So, you know, this is a, a, a trial period for, for pretty much all five of the goals. Those are the, all five of them played tonight, right? So that is a, a trial period for all these guys that have expiring contracts. And who was the uh, – and Yanni Hockenpah was the sixth guy tonight, and I think he's on a one-year deal too. I know it's his first he's game. He's a UFA and, next year too. And, yeah. and he's not uh, so much he's of a trial coming. guy. But, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a trial period for at least those five guys. And, and for as long as the our four main guys are hurt right now – uh, it's going to continue to be a trial period for them. It'll be interesting to see what the Ducks do in that off season. Do you got anything else, my friend, or is it time to call it a night? It's two a.m. Eastern. Yeah, I think it's time to call it a night. Um, you know, quick, quick note. It's great to be back on the post game show. We appreciate you guys coming out and sticking with us. Um, you know, I know for some of you, it might be you know the same time as me, or you might be on uh, Pacific time. And either way, you know it's getting late for you, so we appreciate you guys sticking around, coming back to the post game show, uh, and just uh, supporting the show. I mean, we're gonna likely finish the season this way, back on, on the post game grind. It's a lot of fun to, to kind of get back to that. So again, uh, we we appreciate you guys hanging around. Absolutely, we got Toronto on Friday, and we'll talk to you guys then. Everyone have a great night. Take care, guys. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as slow as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.